Rightcast Research Innovation Practice Enterprise. This is Rightcast, a podcast series for all things research, innovation, practice, and enterprise. I'm Barney Taylor, and today I am delighted to be joined by the mighty Dr. John Hyland. John, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Barney. I, I, I appreciate you inviting me. No, oh, it's fantastic, John. And I know we're battling technical demons in order to connect over the uh, Weber tube. So listen, the purpose of the show is to just start having conversations with people in Dublin Business School about where research, innovation, practice and enterprise intersect. So we might begin by just get asking you to give an overview of who you are what you do at Dublin Business School. That's that's a good place to begin. Brilliant, yeah. So as you so eloquently introduced me, I am John Highland. I suppose I've been teaching in DBS now since 2010. So I'm part of the furniture here at this stage. Uh, so I would be a senior lecturer here at, at Dublin Business School. And the areas that I would teach would include um, behavioral science, behavioral analysis uh, within within the field of psychology. Uh, I would also teach on statistics and, and research methodology as well, as well as some other roles in terms of uh, managing master's level projects and, and research placements as well. So I suppose that coinciding with the fact that I teach on undergraduate research project as well, that kind of broadly covers my uh, my teaching duties. Fantastic. So let's. I'm going to take you back in time if you'll join me on this journey. Let's talk about your your doctoral study. I mean, I'm really interested in, because for a lot of people listening to this, they might be thinking about doing a PhD, might be involved in doing a PhD, or might be deciding they don't want to have anything to do with it. So what was your, what were your doctoral studies? Yeah, so just coming out of a, of a master's back at, way back when, I, um, I had an opportunity to apply for what would be referred to as a structured PhD program. So Basically, what it was was that there was a pre-developed research, PhD level research topic uh, in an area referred to as derived relational responding. So I won't get into that right now, but it was the, it was the opportunity for me to look at something that I was quite interested in coming out of my master's studies. And that was around people's understanding of time and how people understand and execute kind of sequences of behavior. Um, so how they understand sequence following, um, but also kind of sequence structuring as well. So it, it gave me an opportunity to kind of delve into both the area of, of language and the area of symbolism and symbolic reasoning and kind of relational reasoning. So I was very, very interested in that coming out of the Masters. And this opportunity kind of um, uh, came came along. So I was fortunate enough after the interview, to be offered a place that uh, had a scholarship associated with it uh, in the University of Ulster. So I um, travelled up and lived up in uh, Port Stewart, a beautiful kind of seaside area up at the very top of the island for three and a half years. And um, it was a wonderful experience, met some wonderful people, great, great thinkers, great philosophers, Great, great psychologists. And um, yeah, it really kind of helped me develop, I suppose, the interest that I have today. It's fascinating. Thank John. What I love about this is when you think about time, you think about science fiction and you think about philosophy. You don't necessarily think about time and psychology. But actually, when you put those two words together, 
it makes perfect sense because we are creatures of habit. We are creatures of routine and teaching as well. We are tied to other people's habits and routines. So it's a fascinating area. So perhaps we might then, so you graduate um, and obviously you're under a lot of pressure to come up with an original contribution to the body of knowledge. And then you're under a lot of pressure to publish as well. My understanding is a lot of structured PhD work in areas like this, are they collaborative? Were you working with other people? Yeah, I suppose, you know, as would be the case with many PhD uh, kind of programs or kind of bodies of work, you would be working with, say, um, your supervisory team. But I suppose kind of following from that, especially after I graduated, I suppose the teams that I was working with kind of developed and new people were kind of integrated into teams um, that were kind of following on some of the, the work that I had done during my PhD. So I had opportunities to work with uh, people in NUI Galway and kind of master students that were coming in through through that, that university. So they were very much kind of coming with innovative I- ideas and following on kind of the trajectory of of maybe kind of what my what some of my supervisors started and then the mantle that I picked up and then they were kind of they were kind of taking it on and kind of moving into uncharted territory. So to that degree, yeah, it was a constantly evolving process when it came to, you know, the, the, the teams that I was, I was working with. I guess it's interesting as well because you need that uh, inter-institutional collaboration to expand yeah. data sets and things like that, I guess, and to give you the opportunity to, as you say, move into other areas where a question can be asked in a slightly different way related to a bigger research project. Is that, was that your experience? It was. And I suppose I, and I, I might, if you don't mind, kind of segue to another thing, because it kind of links together our roles as, as lecturers, as teachers, as supervisors, and then as researchers as well. And I was, um, when, during my time teaching in DBS, I was supervising a student who went on to do a PhD in Trinity College. And they kind of got me involved in in a project that they had been working on, kind of separate to their role as a student, as a kind of a research assistant. And that kind of created the opportunity then to delve into new kind of areas that I suppose kind of related to other research interests I had in terms of, you know, health psychology and quality of life, uh, especially around the area of school victimization, which is something that I've always had an interest in and my undergraduate, uh, I did my undergraduate in Dublin Business School and my undergraduate topic was actually on school victimization in in, in secondary schools. And this actually uh, afforded me the opportunity to kind of to uh, work on this particular area with a new team looking at it from a different perspective, all because of the relationships that I had forged in a supervisory capacity with a student. So I think some people maybe underestimate the importance of, I suppose, kind of the relationships that we have, these working relationships we have with students and and how, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily just end when the student graduates, that these students are going to be working on similar projects, kind of uh, working in same similar kind of research interests to you. And you might end up working with them for the long term. So, you know, it, it is important to keep that in mind. I think that the relationships that we develop in as supervisors and lecturers can be lifelong um, in terms of our professional careers. It's very interesting, John, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things, and you and I are trying to do the same thing, 
we're trying to develop a sense of internal community at Dublin Business School yeah. through sharing stories about research and practice and innovation, etc. But also we're demonstrating that actually all institutions need to be outward looking and totally yeah. collaborative in order for research activity to prosper, new yeah. ideas to actually be developed, and then for that to come back round 360 back into our classrooms. Yes. And it's a very interesting. Perhaps you might also say a bit more about this uh, this understanding that, or this research project about uh, bullying behaviours. Okay. It's a fascinating project. Yeah, so I suppose what, what I was invited into uh, was a, a collaboration with uh, academics in Trinity College, uh, as well as uh, myself and, and Dr. Pauline Highland came on board then as well. So basically what happened was that um, they had worked, there was a, an initiative kind of carried out some years ago, um, and one of the leading uh, academics involved in this was Professor Catherine Komsky. And uh, she had kind of spearheaded something called the Healthy Schools Initiative or the Healthy Schools Programme. And she kind of delved into a number of kind of key areas with regard to this. She was looking at health-related quality of life. She was looking at the types of relationships that children had with their parents. And one of the areas that she kind of uh, focused on was, um, you know, kind of the presence of victimization, the kind of the the actor groups that I suppose would be involved in that. So obviously some students may be kind of classified as being victims of, of, of this type of kind of bullying behavior, you know, name calling, you know, rumors being spread, that sort of thing. But obviously there would be others that may perpetrate this type of behavior. So, you know, traditionally you might refer to these people as the people as engaging in bullying behavior. So what I was brought in on, I suppose, was the kind of focus and to look in on the the masses of data that she had collected specifically in the area of victimization um, and you know I suppose kind of look to see whether there was some interest in patterns there that you know that we could kind of develop further and comment on in the form of presentations publications reports and so on so I was very fortunate I suppose to have, have that student who kind of brought me in on that project because of my research interests and then that that led to an opportunity for me to become a visit and research fellow with with Trinity College which I which I was for a number of years and opened up further opportunities to work on projects outside of or independent of that which of course as we 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 are both are kind of very passionate about using these opportunities and being able to bring them full circle back into the classroom. Yeah, that was going to be our next question. But before I ask that question, is this research available for people to find the patterns you may have discovered in these kind of behaviours? Yeah, so we actually published a paper there. I think the paper was published in, was it either 2016 or 2017? Okay. Um, so we, so it was myself, Dr. Pauline Highland, uh, Professor Catherine Komsky, and now Dr. Sanam Banka. At the time, Sanam would have been a PhD student. Now she's completed her PhD since. So that victimization paper in relation to health-related quality of life, we have published the baseline data of that. So that should be available. It, it was published in Child and Adolescent Mental Health Journal, but I think it might be available. I'm not sure it could be available through. Uh, DBSE source, maybe. Exactly. I, I can exactly. remember. I suppose it depends on the uh, the copyright issue, but it, it might be. But it certainly is in that journal. It's certainly searchable. Yes, totally. So, yeah, all, all good websites. You should be able to find it. Now, coming back to this and bringing this full circle, 
I really want to ask you, and I have two final questions for you. One is, what are you currently working on? And But the ultimate question, and this has always been the, the battle between the Rebel Alliance and the Death Star that we have always experienced, is why should research be significant in this institution? The answer is because it informs classroom practice, and it has to. And so... Maybe you might begin by talking about what you're currently working on, and then we'll round out our conversation about the significance of research when it comes to teaching practice. Excellent. Yeah, well, I suppose one of the projects um, that I'm working on right now is a collaboration with academics from from a number of institutions, so kind of spearheaded from academics in in Iceland, um, but it also involves uh, collaborations with um, members of universities in in Africa, in um, in Kenya, in um, the US, and in Germany. So basically, what we're looking at is um, the possible biases that can contribute to student evaluations of classroom content or module content and module kind of comprehension. Uh, so we're looking at kind of biases. I, I suppose it, you you could kind of broadly talk about it as a pedagogic style style study um uh, there's a number of phases to it. we're currently still on phase one and i am i have been pleading with the in, in multiple circles i have been pleading for more more students to uh, uh take part in the study uh simply because from a, a power perspective we don't have enough power to be able to form kind of strong conclusions about about the um effects that we're kind of looking at but i suppose it's a really good example to kind of bring it back to it doesn't just involve anecdotes or it doesn't just involve examples that I use in class about my experiences doing research. It can inherently affect the ways in which we do our work. Yeah. If we are learning about biases in terms of things like student evaluations, if we're learning about the reliability of student evaluations, that actually affects the teaching process. That just doesn't affect what we bring to the class as academics. It's the very nature of how we conduct our work as lecturers um, is, is impacted by research potentially as well. Yeah, no, it's, there's a reflective element to this, isn't there, where actually yeah. the teaching and the practice fuse into actually classroom activity. It's interesting also because, like, I mean, we both know and most people listening to this will know, but I think it's worth restating that it's impossible in 2023 to simply survive on theory. One needs to be able to stand up in a classroom and demonstrate the the practice of the theory and the theory of the practice and bring those two things together in order for the discipline to actually survive at degree level. That's very true, Barney. Like I I think about my research methodology type classes and I do find that in those classes, it's the experiences that I can bring to the class that that tends to, I suppose, to kind of spark the most interest among my students. So when I'm able to talk to them about the the perils of of trying to publish, yeah, and kind of the obstacles and the issues that you have to deal with, and uh, research management and issues around kind of publication and copyright and and just kind of things, your own experiences and that, that kind of the lived experiences you've had in relation to that, you know, that's what tends to really spark the interest in those classes. And I don't know what the amount of additional value that I think you can get out of a class if you have someone who 
is involved in the thing that one teaches about, you know, you know, it's it's invaluable. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, obviously, our areas are very different. But I think what we're actually doing is modeling potential future practices and behaviors yeah, in other people yeah. and trying to inculcate because uh, if you say research, most people turn their, their noses up or don't know what you mean. But if you say curiosity, everyone's, ah, oh, yeah. And so really yeah. all we're trying to do is get people to ask what if questions. We're, we're standing out and saying, this is when I ask the question, what if, this is what happened. Imagine if you asked the same question. Yeah. I think that's like, where we are. Exactly. Like, I mean, the first thing that I'll say to my students in research methodology is, some of the best ideas you'll ever have will be just sitting in cafes, watching the world go by, getting on with your own lives. It's not going to be in a lab or it's not going to be kind of part of a research group. It's going to be things that you notice around you yeah. that are impactful to you in some way, that are relevant to you personally. Some of the great ideas come from that space. And I don't know if students maybe think about that. It's like, well, you know, research is not just contained in a in a classroom or contained in a lab or contained in an academic department research stems from everything that we do mm, mm. no i agree i mean i'm going to be controversial here but i think in 2023 most learning takes place outside of the classroom at degree Very level, and i think that's a thing to acknowledge John, listen, we could talk for hours, but I realize you're a busy man with a million projects. So really, <laughs> all I want to say now is thanks ever so much for coming along today and sharing your story. I think there's another conversation to be had. So let's try and book you in for a future episode. That sounds brilliant, Barry. Thanks for having me today. Fantastic. This has been Rightcast, the podcast series for all things research, innovation, practice and enterprise here at Dublin Business School. I've been Barney Taylor, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Rightcast, research, innovation, practice, enterprise.